I read a list of the possible people. Alan Alda. Wow. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss was close. No, but uh, let's stay on Alan Alda for a second. Fuck, dude. No, but um, <laughs> God damn. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> All right, it's showtime, folks, and uh, <laughs> welcome to uh, One Fucking Hour. Uh, this is uh, Evan Husney, of course, joined by my usual co-hosts. To my left, uh, Tom Fitzgerald. Tom? Greetings. And uh, to my right, Mr. Marcus Herring. Marcus? Hey there, guys. Phoning in from uh, the mountains of Taos today, so different background. Oh, Keeping nice. He's in the federal penitentiary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they let me they let me do this the upload speed's pretty good though so yeah. oh yeah looking pretty sharp over there um <laughs> well uh thanks to everybody uh who tuned in last week for our one fucking hour on superfly that was awesome uh thanks for all the feedback on that and um yeah i, I think before we get into tonight's uh this week's uh thanksgiving special uh episode um, I thought we could just wind it back for a little one fucking hour overtime on Superfly. So, yeah, Tom, we're finding overtimes somewhat necessary. There's a little spillover, it seems, from our hour, you know, a rigid hour of uh, conversation. So let's do it again. Little tidbits we weren't able to squeeze in to yeah. the full <laughs> episode. Just an hour, yo. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's definitely masochistic. So uh, tell us, Tom. <laughs> Uh, what you got in the overtime bag uh, for us on, on well, Superfly? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we we touched on how, um, you know, the soundtrack was such a big deal, and it's one of those instances, actually it's the first instance and maybe the only one where the soundtrack itself, uh, you know, was more popular than the film, you know, the Curtis Mayfield soundtrack. But then some other kind of wiggly things happened because, uh, you know, it's a cultural phenomenon, you know, the, the music of, of Superfly. And um, uh, gosh, that that really silly guy, uh, Dickie Goodman, uh, maybe you've heard of him. He did these things called break in records and sometimes called like UFO records. And they were this weird phenomenon where uh, from the late 50s on, it was kind of it was DJ. It was the kind of structure where um, uh, this would happen maybe at a radio station, DJs and their techs. They would cut up little pieces of the songs, you know, on reel to reel. And they'd make these things where it's like, I am a reporter and I'm going to interview um, Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, how you doing? Like, like uh, you know, just incredible, you know, like some <laughs> Nat King Cole song or something, you know. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. so it kept going and it went right through the 70s. And uh, they had a thing called Superfly uh, versus Shaft or Shaft versus Superfly, I can't remember. And so that was actually a pretty good-sized hit, and that was just what I was saying, where it's like um, soul and R&B songs would be the uh, answers to these silly reporter questions. And so, so, that all, so everything's making sense, right? You know. So for some goddamn reason, though, if you flip the Shaft versus Superfly novelty record, well, what do you get? Of course, everyone would expect it to be hardcore, deconstructed, uh, avant-garde noise <laughs> music concrete which is just really tiny slivers of uh this this uh the song uh superfly and the song chap where it's just like chap chap superfly in this insane rep repetition 
not unlike the Noi album, Noi 2, that uh, you know, we were just talking about a second ago where there's a, uh, an, a massive deconstruction of, of, a, of a song. So uh, I'd heard years ago that uh, since this was a popular single, it was often in a jukebox and the A-side would get played once in a while, a silly R&B soul novelty. But then a couple uh, wiseacres uh, would do this prank where they're like, let's get out of here. And they would put on the B-side of Shaft versus Superfly. It's just called part two, by the way. And it's like, <laughs> you know, almost two minutes. And they put it on like 12 times, you know, just, or eight, eight or 12 times. Like, did it, did it. And it would, it would just evidently drive people crazy. And it was sort of like, um, turn off the jukebox. We had to reset it. It was Clear like a the serious house. problem. Yeah. Clear the house. So uh, it's a real room clearer. It's a room clearer played once, but I can only imagine uh, it being on repeat uh, at a bar. You know, it just stops. It just freezes everybody's brain. And Evan, if you'd be so kind to play for the nice folks, uh, just a short sample and let them imagine this going on for like 15 minutes loud how, at a bar. How much of this am I oh, playing? Yeah. <laughs> so the whole thing. No, no, just, 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 it's all the same. Just start it for, you know, the first few seconds, I guess. Fades in. Super. That's it. Super. 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 <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? Pre sampler. Yeah, right. And it's, it's obviously their, uh, it must be a loop they got. You know, it's all yeah. that slicing actual real tape, you know? It's, it's very my, Room clearing is probably my favorite genre of music. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's, uh, that's got to be up there. And again, like if you were to play this in Germany, you know, like before a Krautrock show, he'll be like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's cool. You know? it's really, really cool cosmic freakout, man. But it's actually these two, uh, these two dorks in a radio station cutting up um, uh, super fly, fly, fly. So anyway, that's a little runoff, a little, little uh, nugget, a little, nugget, a little uh, bonus nugget. And um, if you ever find that uh, you're at a bar and there's a jukebox and it has the Shaffer's Superfly 45, I'm not saying do it. Get that room clear. Could. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. And uh, this week's episode, the special Thanksgiving uh, one fucking hour, um, this fucking hour is on uh, the 1979 uh, masterpiece uh, directed by Bob Fosse, and that is All That Jazz. Yes, sir. And um, I'm going to start that clock, boys. Start the clock. I'm worried about yeah. this one. Okay, here we go. All right. Um, all right so it's kick- showtime. <laughs> right. We're going to do that every do five that minutes. Show. Yeah, we are. We are. We are. <laughs> All right. So Actually, Evan, you, you had mentioned. I just, if if I might, I want to just have an overall preface to this. Sure. I suggested this um, because uh, you know it's Thanksgiving in a few days. Mm-hmm. It's that time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for this week's episode. So I thought, what is just a fucking feast of a movie? You know what I mean? Like, what is just uh, the giblets and the cranberry sauce and the biscuits and everything else? Like, and it's one of those movies. Oh. That's why I, I thought of it. I mean, I overstuffed, definitely. So, yeah. um, self-indulgent. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. Well, big fat feast. The big fat feast. So, all right. Let me to kick this off. Um, I just, you know, this is this movie is so unique. It's it's a one of a kind movie. I I can't think of another movie that really 
kind of has this first half that feels like sort of a docu uh, style, you know, kind of film that kind of slowly trans transitions into kind of a musical fever dream. But it's but it is a uh, autobiography at the same time of yeah. the life and times of Bob Fosse uh, at a certain point, of course, in his life. But one of the big criticisms of this movie when it came out is, um, and even from some very notable critics, saying that this movie, oh, it's so self-indulgent and, you know, yeah, he just you know did this about himself and blah, blah, blah. But if you really look back on this, and this struck me a lot going back and watching it, is, man, this is a pretty honest, scathing portrayal uh, that Bob Fosse did of himself. Very self-critical. Uh, and, 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 not and flattering. Him, not flattering. Letting himself bear and evaluating his flaws, kind of understanding his flaws in a certain way. So I thought that would be very interesting. And one thing, you know, you sort of uh, mentioned, which I think we'll get into, is that, you know, Stanley Kubrick adored this movie, you know. Mm. And, I, and I can see that, obviously, from a technical point of view, but also yeah. I, I can see that he would relate to someone like Bob Fosse, striving for that perfection, mm. you know, and striving to just, you know, an insatiable sort of quality uh, that no, he has. I know. Well, if I might... If I might, the film shows its hand right at the very beginning with its, its pretty much its first quote, right. uh, which is um, it's and actually there's a few things that are really interesting about it. Uh, you know, uh, I forgot his first name, but uh, something Walenda was a tightrope walker. OK. And uh, in Chicago or something, he was, you know, just going with no net or any kind of safety guard. In 1978, he went across two big buildings, I think, in Chicago and uh, he fell splat. But there's a quote that's attributed to him, which is more or less the same quote the film starts with. And I think it's appropriate. And it also hints at the death obsession, you know, of, uh, right. of Fosse and the film itself. But uh, um, something that this uh, tightrope walker says is, and it's in the film, the first quote is, uh, you know, um, life is being on the wire, essentially, and the rest is just waiting. And that does make me think about what you're saying about Kubrick, because... I can just imagine that everything comes in second. Uh, he probably had an okay family life, you know, but like everything really was second to like the next enormous project that was all consuming of his mind, body and soul, you know? So I think it is a testament to uh, those kinds of creators. Totally. And right. And the film itself is like, he's, it's also walking that precarious line, right? Like it's yeah. barely holding it together. Yeah. It's, it's very, dangerous setup for a movie to be able to is, is it going to work is he going to make it all the way across <laughs> this film <laughs> yeah, Definitely. yeah yeah it's, it's bold and it's yes. a majorly bold movie like i said lots of different styles going on lots of different feelings and, and clashes but there's also like it's it's sort of threaded together with this sequence uh where it's uh, ostensibly bob fossey in uh, talking about or talking to you know a woman that represents death or his idea of someone that is inviting him into his death. And it's really interesting. And she's, and she's beautiful and alluring. Of you course. Know, he's drawn right. to her death. And he's, he's already flirting with death. He's, she says, you're flirting with me or whatever. He's, and he's yep. literally flirting with death every day of his life with his like, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and yeah. how, he, how, hard day. He, how hard he pushes himself. Yeah, smoking and dancing at the same time. <laughs> well, one thing that's really interesting about that, <clears throat> about that whole construction is uh, there was a great little audio commentary snippet from, um, from, from Roy Scheider talking about the film and talking about how Bob described to him at one point, uh, Bob Fosse described to him that, you know, that, th this, that he often had either dreams or a fantasy 
of this version of death, this woman, you know, that that would sort of lead him through it. You know what I'm saying? Because this was the only person that he couldn't bullshit, you know? And I think that that's so amazing in this movie, you know? He um, says that in the film, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. this movie, right, because in, in, in this movie, Bob pushes away, I, I'm, we're going to probably call this, you know, Roy Scheider's character Bob, but he pushes away everybody except this character, you know? And I, I think that's right. just super interesting. Yeah. And like a dream character too. She's like totally invested in him. You know, she knows all about him. She's interested in him. She's like, you know, in a way that no other person in our lives is, you know, this, this yeah. fictional character that is like fully invested in you, but you also can't pull anything over. Well, on she's, a, she's an angel, an angel of death, you know? Right. She's serving the role of that angels have always served in uh, people's psyches, you know? That's her name, right? An- Angelique. I think it's her name. Right, or, exactly. Mm, right. Yeah, this, again, okay, I'm already getting the, that tingle where this is not going to be enough time. But, uh, because, well, there's just so many things going on. And if you guys don't mind, maybe just – I wanted to maybe put it into um, uh, historical context, cultural sure. context. Um, there's a few things happening that are really interesting. It just got me going. Like, uh, you know, it's funny. Jessica Lang, who plays the angel of death, you know, death. Uh, you know, it's funny. She was a joke. Uh, because she her first role was King Kong, the 1976 <laughs> King Kong. And she was a model, you know, in real life or something. And she just, you know, everybody made fun of her. It was like a Razzie Award, worst performance of the year by a woman, you know, uh, Jessica Lang. So she was a joke. And this was her first time uh, that Fosse was, uh, that saw something in her because then she became this great, you know, lauded actress. So this is kind of weird. But then even more <laughs> importantly, um, it's just funny to see that happen once in a while. I mean, she was a total joke. You know, really, it's. I'm trying to think. <laughs> That's you know, amazing. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Totally. Look it up. So um, the other thing is, we were talking about this movies from 1979, right? And I feel that with uh, this film and Apocalypse Now, they're the last two, boom, right hit, left hit of the of the 70s. It went out really hard with these two films. Yeah. They're incredibly 70s. And, uh, you know, in 1980, there's um, uh, Gates of Heaven, of course, which is an infamous bomb and, you know, uh, you know, bloated and it kind of destroyed United Artists, I guess. But I don't know. I don't find that film to be as much fun. What I like about Apocalypse Now is there and, and jazz are their ultimate 70s films because it's like it felt like there was a blank check, just which is not quite true with all of jazz. But it was just like money, everything like like we're talking about. It's a Thanksgiving movie. It's like excess. It's like, hell, yes, let's do that. Oh, let's get the rock band there that looks like Kiss behind the women who are pulsating like like you know uh, like 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 blood systems you know and just goes on and on. Oh, and of course Ben Vereen is going to be like on a you know like a, on a wire you know floating around and it's just like go 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 fucking for it. It's very coked out in Apocalypse Now. So I like that um, they they really went out hard those two films because you wouldn't have an all that jazz in 1986. I don't think. <laughs> no way. And no. And w- one of the things too is that uh, just about the budget, I was checking, I was reading into it because I was curious. Is that there were times where you know he was going blowing past the deadlines, blowing past everything, you know, and and I think they had to bring in like a second studio to sort of help subsidize, oh, right. you know, to help yeah. to help to help get it completed. It's, and one of the notes, hold on, sorry, yeah. w- w- one of the notes that the studio said in order to save money was to actually to cut Jessica, uh, the Jessica Lang portions of the film. Because they were the last sections that were actually shot, I believe. Right. And and oh. so they were like, let's just lose that whole you know character, you know. And then I think the editor, the, the, no way. 
the 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 editor of the film was like, well, that that would have given Bob another fucking heart attack if he'd done that. So oh, yeah. so um, but luckily they were able to get more money to keep going and to keep that. Yeah. that this movie would fall apart without that. Oh, but Evan, I think you that is the, the the greatest point you could make about the X. I forgot about that. It was over budget. It's it's a movie that's so big it took two fucking studios. It's that kind of movie. They don't do that anymore. Where it's like, oh, like Columbia Pictures. I think is like, oh, I'm winded, man. I can't. I just can't. You know, we got. We can't finish. And it's like 20th Century Fox. All right, man. I'm gonna hook you up. Like let's let's just get across the finish line, man. It took two major studios to make all that jazz. It's unbelievable. That's just so. Anyway, I I kind of like thinking about that time, and um, you know, uh, and how it's 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 a bubble because there's you know the Godfather's period in the early seventies. Things were ramping up, but things um, this and uh, and maybe even New York, New York a bit, which is kind of a bloated, excessive, insane thing for Scorsese after Taxi Driver. It's the, the late seventies always fascinated me because mm. um, it's it's right before the party ended. And the party really peaked out hard with these enormous, insane films. And Apocalypse right. Now, which we should do a one fucking hour on. Oh, we will. We will. Yeah. Right, right. The party that kicked off in the 60s is just kind of finally coming to an end. Right. And December big. 31st, uh, 1979. Yeah, it's, like dawn, yeah. Yeah, it's like dawn. <laughs> and they're like doing huge fat rails, you know, looking at the yes. sunset, the sun, sunrise. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So well, anyway, so I like that, you know, um, context. Well, one thing is to bring it back to the kind of the style and the construction of this movie, which is just, you know, a dizzying labyrinth, you know, at, at, at times. Mm. And um, one of the things I, 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 I had heard that the editor had said that kind of really fascinated me. Um, I think it was it was one of the other collaborators that Bob usually works with. And I can't remember which one. Uh, it'll come to me. But he had said that in working with Bob. Oh, it was the composer. I can't remember the composer's name, but the composer that he worked with on these on his films said that there's real time there's flashbacks and flash forwards and then there's fossey time and mm. this movie it exists in fossey time and i and i love that way to describe that's great that's this. perfect i know I, I and i just i just love that um and i think that you know because of that that character we're talking about with jessica lang too i mean and all of that and and how it how it works in the movie and and coming in and out of those sequences it's so brilliant i think we should we should also watch one of the other motifs that comes back around into the movie, which is the it's showtime uh, folks, because that's right. such a great little thread to keep people, I think, yeah. going. It's how the <laughs> film starts. It's how the film starts. Very famous with four seasons by Vivaldi, you know, and it's um, I had read that the drug he's taking because you can read the label is a drug that is uh, basically uh, instantly activating. You know what I mean? So he really just goes like, you know, pop, pop, grabs, you know, hits up two, and he's like, Whoa! it kicks in immediately in his bloodstream, and he's like, Showtime, folks! Showtime, folks! Signifies that that drug just like kicked in hard. Right. You know? Was that classic over-the-counter speed that they were doing in the yeah. uh, 60s and 70s? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Shall we take a look? But um, yeah, and what I love is uh, this is the opening one, but they all are a little different. There's a little variety, and, and, and this is the genius of Fosse, and I'm glad you brought this up, Evan, this con the context, is that you can see where he's at based on the morning he's having, because it because the morning's the same, but he's a little different, like, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like you see the variety. One time he can barely say it's showtime. He's like coughing, for instance. Right, right, and he looks like almost like Got a in? bird or something. All right, here we go. Exactly. This is the first one from the opening of the film, essentially. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. 
Working in the shower. <laughs> People used to do that, I guess. <laughs> he did, I suppose. Oh, shout out. So there you go. Showtime, there you folks. go, yeah. And he's doing pretty good there. But, yeah, so there's other times when he's uh, he can barely get that going, you know, that <laughs> morning, that kind of morning going throughout the film. But you're right. That's a great example of, um, you know, I, I always like to use the word with this film. Uh, it's playful. And I'll just say this much. Like, uh, another big thing, you know, uh, in the 70s was having progressive uh, narrative structures, you know, based on, uh, you know, uh, the modern novel, you know, and, and of course, foreign film. And I always think, though, that Fosse, especially with this film, is like a fun Nicholas Rogue, you know, and I only bring that up because what I mean is um, uh, he, it's the film is playful and fun and funny and charming uh, the way he is. It never gets that dark because he is kind of like this shallow jive ass motherfucker <laughs> and the film is kind of that too you guys know what i mean yeah he dies at the end but it's kind of like all right it's over he's already gone when they roll the body bag up right and like stages, film, his death stage as a, as a broadway number right right so, and we'll yeah, get to that like but what i mean is the film spirit and and i'll i'll stop down on this right now but i'm just saying like what i like about this film is that another uh egomaniac you know uh, solipsistic director or auteur it would be a lot darker and more down, but even when he's dealing with death, it's a very spunky, playful film, and that's fair. That is unique too to me. So totally. To comment on that. One thing I just want to uh, piggyback off of on the uh, it's Showtime folks uh, sequences in the in in the film. I thought uh, again, the editing in this movie is top notch. Um, Alan Heim is the editor. I just wanted to shout out him <laughs> because uh, Bob worked with him on Lenny. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, obviously we're going to show the cutting Lenny scene here momentarily. But when they in those sequences where he's, you know, when he actually was cutting Lenny, um, they, you know, were having they were having trouble with trying to get Dustin Hoffman's performance right. The the sequences of the uh, stand up sequences weren't really flowing right. And so and so it was the editor's kind of idea to kind of pull in Nick Rogue a little bit and to kind of intercut those scenes oh, throughout the wow. whole movie. And I think that really inspired Bob Fosse when he was approaching, actually, when the script was being written, because it was written kind of with this structure in mind. <clears throat> jagged like this? It's jagged. in the actual yeah. script. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and, yeah. and so he got, he got really inspired. Uh, just one more thing. And he got really inspired by that sort of approach with Lenny and, 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 and put that into here. But one thing is obviously the autobiographical nature of this movie, right? You know, Bob doesn't see it as Roy Scheider playing Bob. He sees it as playing, you know, uh, Joe Gideon, right? So he doesn't see it that yeah. way. So the editor would always turn to him and be like, so uh, so, so, you in this scene, Bob, when when you are in this scene, he's like, that, that's, that stop, calling, stop, stop saying you. That's not me. That's oh, Joe Gideon, okay. you know, um, which is like, it's which like is a amazing. Woody Allen kind of problem. Totally. You know, with but, like Manhattan or Annie Hall. But right, exactly. But Alan would point out to uh, to Bob that it's like, dude, that medicine bottle in the shot is your home address on the fucking right. medicine bottle, That's which it amazing. is. <laughs> that was his home address. Anyway, I know, I know. Who 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 wow. are you kidding, dude? Like. Of course, yeah. that's you. Well, and let's put it into um, uh, actual uh, like his life's historical context is uh, yes, uh, this is this is just a, in a way it is it's linear only in the sense if you if you take the aerial view on the base of it, it is very simply 
this actual movie director, Bob Fosse, uh, and he's having a nervous breakdown because he's cutting up a movie about Lenny Bruce, Lenny, and uh, he might have miscast it. Dustin Hoffman is a little weird for Lenny. I've always felt that way. There's a good Pauline Kael article on that. And also he had the sophomore jitters because Cabaret was an enormous critical and box office hit. And right. so he's having a nervous breakdown, but also not done is he's editing Lenny and having a nervous breakdown because Lenny isn't that great. Lenny is kind of screwed up. So he didn't, he, and he knew it, but he also was doing Chicago, the musical on Broadway. So what I'm saying is it is a, and then he had a huge heart attack and he almost died. So it really, in a very base level, it is a snapshot of basically like 1973 of Bob Fosse's life, you know, but in this psychedelic hallucinatory uh, forward and backward in time, dream sequence thing. So, um, so, that, but so I guess what I'm saying is I like that because it's very grounded on one level. You know, it's very linear and simple in that sense. Like, and that's what really turned me out. When I first saw the film, I went, oh my God, he's editing Lenny, you know, and, uh, and he's having a really difficult time. And, uh, and he had a problem with Dustin Hoffman and he's like, and he's kind of like, seeing, it's, you know, and it's like, uh, can we save this in the editing? It kind of feels like, because mm -hmm. the film is quite working, you know? So side note, Cliff Gorman is amazing. Cliff Gorman played Lenny in the Broadway version that the film Lenny is uh, an adaptation of. So Cliff Gorman was Lenny Bruce on the Broadway Lenny. And Cliff Gorman, uh, I'm sure you guys are huge Cliff Gorman fans, right? <laughs> but uh, he's the secret, right? Dude, right? Don't get me started. But he's a secret weapon in, in, in all that jazz, in my opinion. And he keeps popping up. And, uh, and then suddenly the contextualization of his goofy bit about... Um, the book about death, anger, denial, bargaining, acceptance, and, and it keeps, it's a motif that keeps returning. And that's just another one of like, it's a millionth example for me of the brilliance of this film about how it sneaks up on you. Like he's just editing a stand-up comedian's routine, but then it starts taking on different and more significance and it's layered throughout the film. And who fucking does that? It's wild. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's not that many movies about editing you know for say but and, um it's amazing i think it's such a triumph that like they make a movie about editing you know not just editing but a movie that's heavily about editing is also edited amazingly you know it's such a I know, cool yeah. like thing that they it's pulled like, off like it's like yeah. like meta cycling and and you know <laughs> and it's so and it's clear it's just uh i mean that is his life you know he's editing and he's probably going crazy in the edit he probably lost it in the editing i feel like it's kind of like the last movie where if someone grabbed Dennis Hopper and, and took the film away from him and he, and he, you know, he didn't have this nervous breakdown trying to find the brilliant film in the editing. Cause I think that went to the last movie too. Probably there's probably a good version of it. That's better than how he edited it. And I think if someone just went, well, full stop, you're having a nervous breakdown. So there's like these nervous breakdown, fix it in the editing uh, movies, which again is, is a unique snapshot that, that all that jazz gives you. But, um, it's driven by uh, Cliff Gorman, who just yes. is a powerhouse. You know, like you were saying that that bit that the uh, five stages of death bit at first is sort of like yeah, whatever. You know, you don't, and then the right. second time it comes back, you're like, well, there's something happening here. Right, and it came right. back again. You're like, did I watch this clip already? You know, right, and then right. Sort of, and then the third time it comes back is when he's actually Roy Scheider's actually like living. Those... Should, should we go? Yeah. Oh, well, he's, we have he's that clear. So, so oh, this cool. is this is way down the road on the film. And uh, in the kind of uh, split, the film split kind of in half, and it gets more hallucinatory as Evan was saying uh, when he is hospitalized. He has, a, he has an episode. He has a heart attack, and um, he kind of escapes from his room and he wanders around the hospital. It's a long scene. We just cut a couple moments of it, but it's driven by 
you guessed it, Cliff Gorman in the <laughs> fake film The Stand Up. You know, do you want to run that? The comic. No, it's right? I was wrong. It's not the comic. It's oh, called The Stand Up. That's, oh, okay. that's a Tom, that's a Tom Goof. It's the stand up okay. is the fake movie's name. Tom Goof. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here is uh he's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, let's watch it. If I were God. Man. Oh, this is the editing. Never mind. This is the editing, Some, Evan. Oh, not the sorry. hospital. Sorry. Can we sit down and talk about this like businessmen? A negotiation, okay? Look, I don't want to haggle. You'll find me a reasonable man, man. Look at this the filmmaking, The one on right? 63rd Street I see on Tuesday nights, right? Gone. Finished. I'll never see you again. That's it. All right, no more hard drugs. Little grass, man. Yeah. But that's it. Okay. All right, look, man, I promise it's I won't play the subways anymore, okay? <laughs> we got a deal? Huh? 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 My drive's a hard bargain. This killed me when I was a kid. I told you guys before. Oh my god. It's so good. Too much boozing, too much screwing around. Like, you know, the film is fantastical often, but does this get more grounded? Just like the bowels of a of a big hospital, you know? Oh, this is great too. The 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 blood smear. The streaking of blood because he hit his head. And so yeah. that's just killer filmmaking, man. It totally. And uh, totally. And this scene is maybe one of the weirdest uh, touching scenes ever. Oh, uh, it's you know, so t- good. Tender touching. So he's wandering around and he stumbles as he can on um, this woman who gives an incredible performance. It's it's longer than we have here, but uh, uh, I'm sure everyone's seen all that jazz already. She's just some random lady who's also dying, right? Yeah, exactly. And he just he just gives her um he's so kind to her, you know, by giving her some just real emotion. He has know. that side of him where he's really caring and kind to yeah. people. You know, like when he, in the auditions even and stuff. And then he's really careless with people uh, in his life. Just strangers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And then he meets up with uh like a janitor dude and all Joe Gideon, uh, you know, Bob Fosse wants to do is sing some old fucking uh, soft shoe bullshit songs in, in the basement. So it's just it's a great journey. It's lo- much longer than this. And uh, and again, it's um, it kicks off with um, the recontextualized stand up routine of his the, this bad Lenny film he's, he's editing. One of the great things about this movie, I think, is like, you know, ostensibly I wouldn't be able to identify with Bob Fosse that much. He's he's such a talented person. It's like one of those people that's infuriatingly talented. He's a great dancer, choreographer, yeah. filmmaker. I know. You know, uh, he's, he's everything, you know, he's and he's had such a huge impact on the world. And the character that you see is this guy who's like, he's editing a film and he's choreographing on Broadway and he's got yeah. all these girlfriends and he's, you know, I wouldn't necessarily identify with him. But it's such a heavy – parts of it are so heavy and humanist too that – and it's intoxicating. You really get drawn in to this point where like you are identifying with him and his journey through death. And it's even though the way it's presented is so fantastical right. with all the musical numbers and stuff. There's yeah. something that's so otherworldly about it. But at the same time, you can put yourself in there and identify it and feel it. And I think it's an amazing thing to have a movie that's so – that you could look at these superficially and, and be so disconnected from, but that it's, yeah. the, but you can really feel the emotional core of like death, dying. This is the path we're all on. You know, it's, well, how about it's this? really amazing. He's, you know, if you, if you do just kind of put aside for a second, the, who the person is, it's a really nice portrait of just like uh, how uh, messy life is. You know what I mean? And how messy yeah. you are as an individual. 
you know what I mean? And it's like, and it's like, it's like ups and downs and weirdness and you're lying over here and you're getting ripped off over there. And it's just, um, it's just, uh, it's just a very honest portrayal uh, of a messy life. But what I love about him, but what I love about him is his honesty is not delivered ponderously. Uh, it's, it's delivered with a wink because I, I swear to God, it feels almost like, uh, I'm just bullshitting. You know, I'm just, I'm so, yeah. cause he says it well, constantly. Still, like like all that say jazz it, is full of shit kind of, do you know what I mean guys? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, he even says like, I don't know where the truth ends and yes, the bullshit begins. Exactly. And then also it's showtime, you know, he's still putting on a show. It's you a know, performance. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's no, there's a great scene. And uh, again, my problem is I was trying to say like, Oh, well this would be a good scene to play that one. But there's a great scene when he basically um, auditions bullshit lines to his girlfriend. Do you guys remember this? Oh, yeah. She's upset because he, he slept. He slept. He slept that night with a dancer, one of his dancers, and he's like, uh, he's doing different uh, line readings, it's and amazing. he's like, uh, like, uh, I'm really sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I have to work on myself. It's like, is that too, you know, like, like, is that <laughs> too downbeat? Yeah and, yeah, and she's like, uh, I'd kind of spin it. And she knows because she's in show, but she's like, I would have kind of like uh, landed a little heavier, you know. But then, and then, you know, then you told the joke at the end. So they're both. Um, like going over the line readings uh, in a moment of in their real lives, ha- having a problem and having an issue and having a bit of a crisis about his infidelity. And it's just like, these people are crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's also, a- it's, meta, it's meta because that is the film too, because this is a film and he is doing line readings. So Bob Fosse's, Bob Fosse put himself in front of the camera as Roy Scheider and he's and is probably had to debate the line readings that he's giving about his fake line readings to his girlfriend. It's demented. Right. It's like it's what amazing. Is it connected in New York or something? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Priest connected. There's another parallel moment where he's having a, a sort of an argument debate with his ex-wife, and she's doing dance choreography to him, and she's sort of scissor kicking on the floor, and he's backing away, and they're almost doing like a little dance, like almost like he. Well, he did. He staged a little choreographic dance moment for the conversation the conversation that yeah. is that is pushing the forward the movie forward more and it's almost like a de, uh, deconstructed broadway number in itself where you've got like you know a musical uh, dance sequence that propel the movie well, that propel the story forward but he's like stripped away the music and it's just the conversation and just the dance right and the way it's staged and it's like it's just this deconstructed moment but it's serving the exact same purpose and we're seeing the same tools that make those yeah there's a few layers going on you know that, that include the film all that jazz <laughs> yes, in the layers right. you know and it's his what yeah and it's like a parallel between him and his real wife who was his muse and also and, that they, they they split up but they kept working together like oh, bob, bob and, and joe's had the exact same situation exactly oh and sorry <laughs> tiny side note it's just ann ryan king when they're doing the line reading debate that was his actual his girlfriend. girlfriend right? yeah. so, yes, anyway, it was. So. Well, also, to, to, to also bring it more meta here, too, you know, uh, Gwen Verdon, you know, his wife, at, you know, his long wife, his long his wife of a long time that he had. She um, the other members on, on, on set would talk about the confusing lot blurred lines because, you know, Roy Scheider's character goes to his to his wife in the movie, the character, and says, you know, so what'd you think of that dance number, right? And Bob would be doing the same thing during the filming of that scene to 
Gwen, oh <laughs> you know, and be like, so what'd you think of the scene we just shot with the thing? You know, so it's just like there's all these kind of layers oh, yeah. and layers. It's uh, adaptation or whatever. Like, it's, yeah, that's what. Uh, yeah. It's all these Charlie Kaufman stuff. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman ripped off all that jazz, man. Yeah. So totally. A lot of people do borrow from this movie. You Can know, I bring up some something? Oh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. It's just, uh, you know, that clock's running, yo. But like, here's the thing. Minutes. You just brought up a very important uh, name here, Roy Scheider. Mm. Okay. Now, I just want to preface this. Uh, two things, very briefly. A, I could never imagine anyone else but Roy Scheider playing this lead character, Joe Gideon. I can't. Can you? Because what? I read a list. Just, this is my second tiny thing. I read a list of the possible people. Alan Alda. Wow. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss was close. No, but uh, let's stay on Alan Alda for a second. Fuck, dude. No, but um, <laughs> God damn. Right? So, so, but then it was, no. it was actually probably going to be Richard Dreyfus. No. Um, Jack Nicholson was considered. Jack Lemon was too old. I was like, who the hell right. wanted that to happen? Right. So, anyway, all I'm saying is, uh, and, all, and the, no, the studio pushed back on the choice for Roy Scheider because he was always, you know, he's kind of a star. He's, you know, He's not the reason why anybody saw Jaws or anything, but he's such a great actor. I just wanted okay. to bring that up. Hold on, hold yeah, on. He's hold such on. a good actor. Yeah. I was so just going to say, I, I was just going to say, you, you can't imagine anybody else but Roy Scheider playing that character. But in a million years, would you ever but sit. Alan Alda! No, 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 listen. <laughs> but like, would you ever in a million years, if you were tasked with casting this movie, be like Roy Scheider? I, right. I always had exactly. a, I always had a hard the guy, time. Like, when that first time I saw no, the, I know. this movie. Yeah, as first time I saw the guy from the French Ridley. Connection. Exactly. Yeah. Jaws. Yeah. Sheriff Brody. I, I just yeah, had a hard Brody. time. The first time I watched it, right. the first time he popped on, I was like, "He's gonna be dancing in a Broadway show." Like, but is he not great and perfect? And can you <laughs> not imagine? Well, that him? just it also speaks to just he's so great in Jaws too that you can't that you think like that's his that's that's what yeah. I thought he was. I thought he was. No, Jeff I hear Brody, you. Rush Scheider's uh, <laughs> underrated in general. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. But yeah. he just slays here. And I just, because the thing is, it's like, also, there's a few things going on because, you know, all this meta stuff. You know, if you look at Bob Fosse, he's kind of, he's a little weenie-ish looking compared to Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider's very manly. <laughs> totally. He rocks that goatee really hard. Yeah. And he's like, he's kind of cut, you know, and he's like got a, he's kind of a, a a big, a big guy, and he's got a very uh, macho face. He looks like he has a, bo a boxer nose, you know, mm, uh, yeah. got broken. Mm -hmm. But right. Roy, but Bob Fosse actually is a little more like weenie-ish looking, just relatively speaking. So yeah. he probably he did that dress thing. kind of slight a little bit. Like he's no, but I'm talking about like his Michael Graham's a very tall name, and he looks his shoulders look kind of like small and like right. at that moment, you know. But I'm just talking about like uh, that kind of Fight Club thing. Yes. Where, um, <laughs> where uh, what's the names of all these people? Tyler Durden. No, I don't know. Yeah. But the guy, yeah. the guy who the lead guy projects himself onto is brad pitt you know what I mean? <laughs> right. so he's kind of brad pitting himself because he, he, he right. cuts a more uh idyllic... <laughs> yeah exactly he's like uh I, like i want to uh um go uptown on my casting of <laughs> yeah. like, i want to i want to look hotter well and look more like a he, uh, his projection is i want to look like a manly guy so let me let me uh... that's all you know what i'm saying let me just throw some some history tidbits on that, which I think was kind of funny. Roy was talking about how he got the part, and he was talking about how Richard Dreyfus was, you know, coming to him saying, "I, I just I, I can't play this part. I don't know how to play this part." You know, could you imagine Richard Dreyfus? And he's like f flipping out, trying to wrap his head around yeah. playing Bob Fosse. And so then Roy, all wrong. Yeah, and then Roy was kind of like, "Hmm, okay," because he has all the theater background. Roy, I think, 
over a decade in the theater, whether or not it's musical, who knows. But he had the experience, and then what it really took to get the part was Roy went over to Bob's house every day for weeks and just read lines with him. And they got to be very close, like super close, even after the movie was done. So it's just interesting that... I, I, the reason I brought it up is because I just in a million years would never think, yeah, like you said, the guy from French Connection as Bob Fosse just seems like a stretch, but it works so yeah. perfectly. Man. Yeah, and it's just, and again, I can't imagine, I mean, I, you know, he, he embodies the role, he lives it. I think this is another example, it's another thread here in our podcast of uh, people who just dig in. You know, it wasn't just another casting, it wasn't just another, uh, you know, performance in a Hollywood movie. I think Roy Scheider took it very, very seriously and said, uh, okay, this is the role of a lifetime for me, mm-hmm. and I'm going to um, uh, do everything I can. I'm going to learn how to dance. He, he wasn't a dancer, you know, for instance. But also, like, I'm going to, like, get in, in and out of the brain and the soul of, uh, of my subject, who I thankfully have right in front of me, whereas maybe Dreyfus would have just done that actory thing where he would have just applied all this Dreyfusiness on it. Oh. You know, I'm, I, who knows? Maybe it would have yeah. been good. But it's, uh, of, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? It's like... It's like sometimes an actor just takes a role, but like we're talking about Angus Scrim brought a lot to his character in uh, Phantasm, for instance, you know. Phantasm. It feels very real too, I think, because of like Evan mentioned the documentary feeling of the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that part, that helps it feel very real too, because it does feel like you're at the auditions, you know, and you're at the rehearsal. And there's like little moments where like there's a background guy who's gone and he's signing something, you know, a book in the background and like just kind of walks off. There's mirrors. There's, it's very dingy and dark and it's not lit particularly well at it's times. It's like backstage you know, it feels, behind the scene world. Yeah, I love it, is, it. it is. This is a back. Yeah. This is a great, it's like a backstage musical also like can I, Cabaret can I is too, where like the, right. the, you know, the, um, it's like, yeah, we're on, we're behind the scenes of a musical, but it's also a musical it's, about, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that because, um, some d- dumbbell had recently, I read recently about fame, you know, which came out a year later, 1980, and how they were saying this was a big deal because it was unprecedented before fame, wrong, uh, about um, the <laughs> musical numbers manifest in, in, a, in, a, in a concrete, real setting. You know, like they, um, uh, you know, like they, the song Fame plays and they all start dancing outside because the, the, the dad who runs is a cabbie is playing mm-hmm. his son's music and it's like oh he's great and the kids are like i'm gonna do all these moves i learned in class today out in the street and dance you know fame right okay right yeah, yeah, yeah. like, like yeah, yeah. what i'm saying is all the all the dance scenes and the singing scenes manifest based on reality and some idiot actually said like oh it's the first time that happened and it's become a real thing and i was like uh a year ago hello and all like, that jesus right thank you very much <laughs> no so all i'm getting at is that that's actually become a, a big thing uh, you know, and, and maybe a chorus line actually is the very first thing, uh, mm-hmm. um, but the film came later, you know, and, uh, than the than the Broadway play, which has that concept of it's all behind the scenes. But anyway, it's just that's become um, much more common, uh, and uh, you can attribute that to all that jazz, you know. And and just one last thought for me, I'll just speak for myself on musicals. I hate musicals, <laughs> like I don't like them at all. Um, but I love this film, and I, I just want to add one thing about that. I'm actually a huge uh, – I, I watch a lot of Bollywood musicals, though. Here's what I'm saying is I don't like just a straight musical, like a depiction of the singing and the dancing. You know, What I like is the editing, and Bollywood has absolutely brilliant editing all mm. the time in their musical numbers. It's like, you know, cut to the woman's arm, cut to her face, da-da-da, zooms, and it's, and, it's all, and it's all very musical. And I think one of the great things about Bob 
that he brought to the role of being a film director is something that is unprecedented. It's a choreographer moving into film directing because otherwise wow. it's been actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Actors, mm -hmm. writers, uh, all, everything, but a choreographer. So I think a choreographer's, uh, editing instincts are going to be musical and, and when it's done right, musicals that are edited dynamically, that's some of the best shit I've ever seen, and including all that jazz. Well, it's because yeah, it has like, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, it's because it has like a, that real montage quality, right? Like this, this mm -hmm. whole movie is a string of montages in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. But also, I think what he brought to it as a choreographer to in the, with respect to the editing, is there are long passages in this movie, some of my favorite passages in the movie, are and it, it, maybe not even things that are super consequential to the plot, but the my some of my favorite passages are just where shot after shot after shot there's camera movement. You know, every shot there's camera movement going into the edit to the every edit for like minutes at a time. There's always movement going on, and that's the just like cameras dancing. The cameras dancing, and that's so. Yeah. Uh, that's what he's bringing to it, and really understands that you know that that, that to yeah. really construct something that way. Sorry, Marcus. Yeah, he delivers it to a '70s audience, I think, and or you know, a modern audience, I think, in a way. The musical, and I, I'm not a musical agnostic. I love well, Cabaret is great too, and it's also Bob Fosse. You know, I, I love that movie. And uh, but no, dude, I mean like Brigadoon, Brigadoon, dude. <laughs> Come on, get real. Right. Well, I like you know Busby Busby Berkeley and stuff too. He's also like got you know someone who deals heavily with like choreography and stuff. I meant literally and, musicals, not not fil great films musicals. I meant right, just right. dumbass musicals. Chicago, yeah, on right. stage. <laughs> you know. right. Sorry, well, we know. I know you're a big Hamilton fan, but I mean, <laughs> like, I think. Uh, oh, I mean, you know, I'm gonna have to do one fucking hour on that. <laughs> Go ahead. I, uh, I I don't know what I was gonna say, but they, I think it's I think he does. Uh, he makes this is definitely a musical that people that don't like musicals can enjoy. Yeah, sure. I can, oh yeah. What's your favorite musical sequence in it? Like I was, I'm oh. really entranced by this one. That's um, everything old is new again. That was I was yeah, really that's great. Of in, uh, entranced by that moment. It's so real. It feels like you're in someone's house, and it and they do all the things that you would do. Like get the lights, get the record player going, yeah. and it's like let's put on a show. show that someone's putting on your living room. And yeah, it's so I know charming. what you mean, and I've I been in those situations. Yeah, it's really yeah. great. Well, for me, you know, it's funny actually. Marcus keeps bringing, or sorry, Evan keeps bringing this up, and I just realized this right now that um, you know, it does. It, it's veritas and documentary, and then it, there's a slow descent into pure abstraction, uh, and the pivot point is his heart attack, uh, not the fatal one, but you know, the one in the middle. And uh, if you think about it, the beginning is, an, is, you know, you ask, like, what's your favorite music sequence? I love the first one with, um, you know, on Broadway, uh, George Benson, right? The auditions, incredible. But then it ends with the psychedelic, insane uh, 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 fever dream, which rivals the apple, you know? And uh, I, I, I got to confess, when I was a kid, I saw all that jazz like 8 million times because it was on cable constantly. But weirdly, also, uh, the Apple was on constantly. So when, even, when I was like a little kid watching HBO, I would think, oh, this is like the Apple. Or the other way around. Yeah. I'd, I'd watch the they Apple that, and go, it's they like, both oh, that Can you watch that scene? Yeah, they both yeah, have the tinsel it's, it's gaudy. and like the, the stage lighting and the tinsel and the. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. And it's all everything's <laughs> reflecting. The lights are reflecting everything. No, but it's just this is it's, the most overstuffed turkey moment in the film. It's and like this cheap is just but stagey the, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. All right. And uh, and also just like uh, kind of gaudy. It's like an ultimate '70s moment. So this is right before the very very end. It's the penultimate moment, and he's basically in 100% fever dream mode. 
Yeah, let's those, uh, the visible man, the visible man, you know, sort of large uh, scale visible mans uh, that are you know, lit inside. No, you're right. No, you're right, Marcus. It's like everything, everything that can reflect light is going to reflect light. The floor, yeah. the walls, the ceiling. Sequence, the sequence. Yeah. yeah. And I love the two girls uh, who are, yeah, like the circulatory system. There's yeah, also sort of like of, a slim good body outfit. Yeah, slim good. And it's an incredible 70s moment. And then there's um, there's a rock band in there somewhere that are kind of like a, a cheap kiss, kind of yeah. like, a, or like Angel, you know that band Angel? Angel, I yes, love Angel. Angel. Casablanca, also Casablanca records. Yes. Right, right. I, uh, but, um, and, and, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, and this is so, like, you know, going out in style, Bob Fosse way, like, you know, just to march to your death with a big fucking gaudy musical yeah. number. And it's, it is really one of the best scenes in, in, in the entire thing. No, it's incredible. Thing. An entire anything. And he's doing that great thing. And by the way, it's time to bring up Fellini here in Eight and a Half. Right. I mean, it's definitely a huge influence. But he does that fun thing, which is such a showbiz jive-ass kind of thing to do, where everyone in your life story is in the audience and you get to thank them and sh- you, even your rivals you know even your your enemy like hey man that was fun or like oh i'm sorry yeah. my daughter and my girlfriend you know and then he just fucking's winking at everybody he's yeah. such a jive ass motherfucker everyone's there to send look at him right there right, right. look at him right there and she's just like oh you'll never change you jive ass fucking joe gideon you know and uh <laughs> I think it's you know what i mean and ben vereen yeah. man Ben fucking yeah. Vereen is it so is, oh yeah it is that know? total like me generation thing or the whole world revolves around you, you've got this sort of main character syndrome where the entire world is like around yeah. you, and I, which I love, of course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Lot. <laughs> and of course, spoiler alert, um, my favorite thing about this indulgent, insane uh, Sergeant Pepper's movie, uh, the Apple movie, uh, is that, of course, you end this abruptly with a shot of a dead body getting zipped up in a body bag. Right. Incredible choice. Like, like that shot cuts off. Uh, like it's in the middle of the of the peaking of this music. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, oh shit. It's like zip corpse, yeah. and then credits. Sopranos. But, <laughs> right. Yeah. So but, good. Um, um, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I I just want to because you were asking about physical favorite musical number. Excuse me. Um, for me, yes. I mean, you have to bring up the erotica sequence because yeah. <clears throat> you know. And, you know, Bob, you know, was, as a choreographer, I was looking into it, too. I mean, he's one of the first guys that really brought that sort of sexy, you know, sexy style into the choreography, you know, getting Take you know, off pretty, with us. Yeah, getting pretty controversial there. But that sequence is amazing. The way it's edited, the whole way it's put it together, is. incredibly just seductive and awesome and, and the smoke and everything. It's really one of the coolest again, passages in the movie. It's uh, agreed. And, and again, it's what Marcus was saying about that other smaller scene where um, the two gals in his life are putting on his daughter and his, and his old lady uh, are putting on a show in the living room. And, you know, erotica, erotica is, is, is not a fully formed Broadway piece that you're seeing depicted in the film. I know. You know it's like some like, 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 uh, like, um, you know, run through. Uh, yeah. It's a run through and like, you know, like the a union guys putting this fog machine on, you know, that kind of thing. And you, and you see that, you know what I mean? And yeah. uh and and that's that's so powerful. That's a that's another brilliant innovation on his part, as we were saying before about uh, sort of lifting um, the veil between, uh, you know, like uh, how the sausage is made, you know, and and the performance that you see on stage. Yeah, and it's also cool that Bob gets to like indict what's also fucked up and stupid and idiotic about the industry behind 
you know, what he does. How, you know, he just shows all these, you know, boobs and nincompoops as they're like, I don't know about this. Well, Frank Sinatra won't be able to sing it. I know. You know, and all, numbers all this crunchers. Stuff. Yeah, number. Well, okay. H- hang on. Yeah. Bring it up. Okay, I'm going to bring <laughs> it up. You're gonna get it. Okay, you know what I'm going. Uh, and we got, I, I do want to fit in one more clip too. So we got 15 minutes. Here we go. So obviously to me, I, I watched the movie back uh, pretty much twice, you know, in preparation for this. And um, man, when it gets to that scene of the open heart surgery, I can barely handle it. I, it's really like a serious phobia of mine. I can't handle heart shit. It's hard for me. But um, what, what I will say is one of the more brilliant things in the fucking movie, in any movie, is to intercut a goddamn open heart surgery with budget crunching, you know, and number yeah. crunching. There's nothing more indicting. It's just a perfect way just to like, you know, fucking represent showbiz, how souls is. Yeah. I know. It's it yeah. that I mean that's art, you know, obviously, and that's an incredible sequence. Um cross cutting. The, the cross cutting is just that is such a, a an amazing choice that this movie has or that that he made for the movie rather. And yeah, man, it gets me every time. I literally curl up into a tiny little ball in that scene a nub right. you know in that i can't handle You're hiding it. your heart from a uh, doctor I, death i know i'm like this he might not make it but they're 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 vote they're hoping he doesn't right or they're betting against well no it's almost yeah. like yeah. the producers or something that, you know yeah but we're gonna you know, lose, like, like if he uh, dies we're gonna make money off yeah it's yeah. better for them if he dies yeah, no, yeah you know it's like it's like it's a wonderful life like you're worth more dead than alive you know this life insurance yeah exactly yeah. you know what another thing um and boy this is a tough one fucking hour. It but is. another thing that I love is um, it's pure cinema. Uh, I might just be wind up repeating myself over and over again. But what I'm saying is, um, you know, film very often uh, is based on a novel or and then it becomes maybe a screenplay. Uh, and then uh, the mind and, and the attitude uh, and the approach of many filmmakers is uh, it's based on, uh, on another art form and specifically writing based. But this is such pure cinema. And just like you said it, uh, it's so it's so and what I mean is it's so visually strong. You were just describing Evan like um, he said so much in simple cross cutting the choices he made Without to have one else. comment on the other. Yeah. And so he's he's speaking in a very this film is speaking in a very pure filmic language, yep. uh, which is very exciting. And um, he gets across everything through um, through well, audio and video. You know what I mean? And uh, and it's so dense. Whereas um, it makes so many other films look kind of uh, slow and flaccid. Even today, a 1979 movie like this, like a 40-year-old movie, it feels so fresh. I, I would I would venture to say. Oh yeah. To a lot of audience, you know, it doesn't feel like um, stodgy or like. Uh, and then these two people continued walking and talking in another room. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. This film yeah. is nuts. One, this, another, no MTV yeah. yet. You know, right? One thing that depresses me is that this movie is so great, and there should be more. It should have inspired more movies like it right to people to experiment and reach out and we see people that are inspired by it you see there's like references to this movie and and other media and films and stuff but it's always just a cheap kind of reference to it like hey remember this it's like member member berries or whatever it's like remember this part of this movie instead of being instead of like swallowing it and being absorbing it and being like okay now i'm gonna go out there and make a crazy movie you know that's wild and and stretches pushes the boundary well how about this kind of like they don't they don't have the imagination and the skills right. and, the, and the talent, you know, and the inspiration. Uh, and right. I think, you know, uh, I also think that, uh, you know, Gates of Heaven or whatever kind of shut the door on that. You know, well, that's the thing. The party uh, ended. He, the party. he was all that jazz is the final toasted dawn and they're all naked 
and they just did huge fat rails, you know, like uh, it's, it's, it's the toast yeah. at dawn. The I, party's over. Yeah. I saw a clip of him talking about where this movie came from. And he said that after his open heart surgery, he was interested in death and wanted to do a movie about death. And there was a book that they had optioned that was called ending, I think. And then hmm. he was, it was about a woman's life and like, it was just sort of a family drama. I didn't, didn't, I don't know much about the film, but he said it was more like, uh, at, you know, in at someone's house, family drama, woman dying, kind of thing, yeah. and it was so he- it was a beautiful story, but it was so heavy that he was like, I can't. This is going to take like two years of my life. I'm going to be spending with this movie. Hmm. I can't. How ca- I can't be in this heavy place for two years, you know? So he oh, brought it back to something that he could deal with. So which was making a movie about show business and his own life, you know? His own life. Well, and it. again, my the flogging a dead horse over here is he's he's he feels like he's a more fun loving guy. Yeah. You know? um, Generally, and a side note, uh, and, and Evan, just to book, uh, put a button on what you're saying before, his inspiration maybe by his Lenny editor and uh, to be so nonlinear with Lenny and then all jazz. And he continued with Star 80, it, you know, like a Star 80 is very elliptical. And it's we need, we need a whole long. we need a whole hour for that. It. We're doing it. We're doing it. Let's let's put a pin a in that fucking hour because I, I yes, we are. I, 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 I want to bring it back real quick to something you said during the last clip we watched which I do want to talk about is this idea of the Fellini influence, if if we can, because it's definitely there. And it's something yeah. funny you said, Marcus, at the end of last week. We were joking about what would be the perfect Thanksgiving movie, and, and you said Satyricon, you know, wink, wink. Funny thing <laughs> right. is, funny kinda thing slow. is, kind of slow. Kind of slow. Kind of slow. <laughs> <laughs> funny thing is, Satyricon shot by the same DP as all that jazz. So, oh, get out. What? Yeah. Wow. So you, Bizarre oh fucking connection. So Giuseppe Rotuno. I know. So feast Gi- movies. Feast movies. He loves them. So Giuseppe, wow. who's the DP of this movie, cool. <clears throat> I'm sure. I'm sure he plucked him. You know, because of the. You know, he loved Eight and a Half, Fellini. But uh, obviously, right. you know, but he didn't shoot Eight and a Half. But he shot a lot of those. You know, those, those meteor Fellini movies, Satyricon, um, um, Chord, those movies. Hilly and to the you spirits, could, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but you could see. You could totally see that same visual style, you know, like yeah. in, yes, in, I did not know that in those the movies, softness and big crowds and the yeah. softness, the the uh, Vaseline on the lens, you know, you can see that uh, throughout, yeah. uh, you know, all that jazz. Kind of. Yeah, and, well, and no, it's very Armacord. Um, you know, when it's uh, he's remembering his first times in vaudeville, uh, that has an Armacordish um, Fellininess, uh, particularly. Oh my Remember, God, it's like. Yeah. Any, and, and they kind of like tease him sexually, uh, the stripper girls. That's yeah. a great scene. Who is That's that amazing. guy? That's uh, that guy from Dress to Kill. He's so good. Wait, Marcus, got to get I, it in. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to. No, wait, you, I, I just want to. Oh, okay, great. I just want to spend one minute talking about the production design, specifically okay. of like the sort of netherworld, like imagination, how it's like, Tom, you said something earlier about how your life is, how life is messy. And that mm-hmm. it is that part of his imagination. It's like all these little pieces of his life. You see like yeah. paintings just kind of stacked up and like, like an old see, attic. Uh, yeah. It's an old, right. Right. There's like belts and stuff from like, you know, dance belts and stuff like that hanging on the walls. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, in his own apartment too, you see pieces of that. There's that oh wow mirror that is like Love on the wall mirror. of his apartment. Love it's also it. in the imagination. I just want to walk around that that imagination place and look at all the items. And I'd love to walk around his house and like look at you know there's there's a part where there's all these magazines stacked up with like a plant sitting on top of it. You know, there's yeah. just wonderful details of like his uh, life and it's it's very Still sparsely decorated. Uh, yeah, I want to get in home there. Home decor is is, is, yeah. is dope. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh God! So what do you, what are we bringing up in the final stretch here? Well, okay. So <clears throat> we do have other clips. We have the. Do we want to see oh, the Lenny sure. editing thing? Do we need to see it? Do you want um, to see it? I think we kind of talked we about talked it, about and it. I can only imagine we'd just probably talk over it, and it's yeah. okay. All right, no worries. Um, I'm just. I don't think. Oh, we got to talk about the silent sequence. The silent sequence. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Right. creative brilliance. Yeah. yeah. So pure cinema. Set it up. Well, yeah. So he's uh, this is about right in the middle of the film, and he's uh, you know they're 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 getting closer to doing basically what Chicago was for Bob Fosse, the the Broadway musical, and uh, he's really losing it here in the middle of the film. And this is right before he has his uh, that heart attack that lays him up in the hospital. So he is, uh, and he does a very weak. It's showtime, folks. Like right around this time, like right, you know, to up. illustrate uh, just how bad he's doing. So here he is, and he's barely getting through a morning um, uh, read-through of the script. And obviously there's, you know, yeah, one thing about this movie, too, that's amazing is the bad humor that he obviously were having to be subjected to in some, you know, in cases, and this is it. And then all the sound drops out, right? The sound drops out, and it's, and the Foley takes over. And all Joe can hear here is, well, it's pretty solipsistic, too. That's another layer, is all he can hear in the world is everything that's manifesting internally. Tapping his fingers, playing with the pencil, but everything else is tuned out. So he's probably having a, a, a mental nervous breakdown Panic and a physical breakdown at the same time. And he's just so cut off from anything even approaching normal. Even his showbiz life, he's just out. <laughs> you know, it's amazing, like internalizing. This is a pretty grim scene, actually. It's a great depiction yeah. of just people just can't. They just can't do it. You know, they just can't cope with uh, the day to day. He's, he's probably gone. experiencing. I mean, he's experiencing his health, his heart attacks, like happening at this moment. But I think too, both things right? are happening. Like it's, it's like they're feeding each other the. That's what I was just saying, the mental and the physical breakdown he's having in tandem. Yeah. And uh, not a good time to do it because he's, he's in charge of this whole room of people who are dynamically engaged in this production, and he's listening to his pencil tapping. <laughs> That's all he can hear. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of great. And then, and then, oh, and then the genius of how he gets out of it. America, can a 24-year-old The snapping like of the uh, pencil house like this brings him back. Hills. Brilliant. He was only out for like an hour and a half. You know? I know. For the entire read of the, uh, what? Right? <laughs> like the real time play. Yeah. That it's, part, it's, the the amazing sound effects moment. Oh, yeah. Again, oh. we always talk about on the show the movies that usually qualify for one fucking hour are the ones that have filmmakers that are sound forward. You know, and this definitely is a yeah. movie that is sound forward in so many ways, too. So he's well aware of yeah. how to use it. In a surprising way. Yeah. Not just like in the yeah. music and the music numbers. But even that kind of really cool, innovative sound design. Good point, man. Yeah, yeah we, we love that. Um, we'll, uh, we'll work for uh, innovative sound design here at one fucking hour. <laughs> yeah, Marcus? Give it to us. Can we, 
Can we do a quick that guy roundup? Like of the when you're watching the movie and you go, oh, that the guy, guy from Alf, like right? Saw, That's all you just want to yes, the Alf's dad. Yes, yes, Alf's dad. Uh, I knew it. I knew the attorney it. from The Sopranos. You knew I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, the attorney from The Sopranos, right? Also, well, because for me, because I'm older, so when I saw Alf, I went, oh, it's the guy from all the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know, it's just kind of yeah. weird. Alf. You know. So we went in two different directions. <laughs> that's hilarious. Also, the uh, that's hilarious. Like, like, like Joe, the, we the, can't. We had our budget so we're flowing and out. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking He's great. the whole time. He's great. I love him. Also, the inconceivable guy. Oh, <laughs> Wallace Shawn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Wallace oh, Shawn's. Yeah, Oh, and uh, my... fucking uh, John Lithgow. That's one of the first. Yes. That's right before Lithgow broke, probably in. Um, uh, you know, Blowout probably was his big breakout role. And then and, uh, World According to Garp. But it's a nice little early Lithgow moment. And he's a great doucher. Isn't he a great douchebag? Oh, call? my he's God. Douche, yeah. And that's yeah. another thing. It's like Bob understanding all of those players in this game. And he is yeah. definitely the, that guy that would be in that situation to inherit the production. Yeah. Like the guy who has the meeting with your producer, like, because they're hedging their bets. And they're like, uh, it's just lunch. You yeah. know, and he's like, of course, I understand, Artie, you know. Yeah. Brilliant. More of that almost. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder what's on the cutting room floor in this fucking movie. Jesus I know, Christ. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, not <clears throat> as much as you think, though, because he, yeah. he's a big, you can tell, I think so. I think he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Unlike Lenny, I think he had a, a, a drive and a purpose and a, and a real final destination in mind. You know, that's my thought. Well, one thing about not Lenny, too. Totally. One thing about Lenny is I heard that he, you know, he did have this kind of mental, you know, well, I mean, I, you know, a lot of the heart problems he was having, too. It's like he had kind mm -hmm. of another full on panic attack breakdown during Lenny as well, which I think is what inspired that sequence. You know, we just watched. Well, because I think he's I think with Lenny, just to get on that for a second, um, I think it is a very flawed film. And I think there's a critical flaw in the casting of Dustin Hoffman. And again, Pauline Kale is very insightful. She was she basically just to boil it down, she said, because she saw Lenny Bruce, you know, she's from back then. Mm -hmm. And she said, Lenny Bruce doesn't give a shit about you. Lenny Bruce is like, I'm over here. I'm the coolest guy in the room. If you want to listen to me, cool. If you don't, fuck off, because I'm going to be Lenny Bruce. But the right. thing is, it, Justin Hoffman did this weird Lenny Bruce where he's like needy. He's like, just listen to a couple more jokes. Hold on. Give me another minute, judge. You know, and it's just so antithetical to the super cool man who Lenny Bruce was. So she had a huge problem with that. I think that Bob Fosse is so talented that he saw that he made a, kind of a bad film. You know, it has, I watch it a lot and I love Lenny and it looks fucking great, but it's something's kind of critically wrong in it. Maybe not even just the casting of Hoffman. So I could see him having a nervous breakdown because he understands a really good film, obviously, because he's made them. You know what I mean? I also really appreciate the fact. I also appreciate that um, the editor of Lenny, you know, the guy we've been talking about, the guy, uh, Alan Heim, he's in the fucking movie playing the editor of the stand up, which I love. So right. that just. I mean, he's right there. He's right there, drives it home. And that's their More editing suite. Stuff. That's their editing suite. They just dressed up a little bit just for the, you know, exactly. to make it a little more yeah. chaotic for the film, you know? Well, they just I popped Roy Scheider in it with a fake goatee, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all that totally. jazz. Oh know? my god! Ran oh god! Random fact: would I have to squeeze in? Great use of the avant-garde font too in the titles, the opening titles with those. Uh, Amen. With the light bulbs and the angle, how it twists uh, yeah. and turns, and, and on the poster, it's at an angle to where how you'd see it from the street if it were a Broadway right. play. It's right, exactly. Like, well, excellent yeah. use of avant-garde font. No, I know. <laughs> and actually, the movie starts off so confidently and so cool. 
because yes, it's that sequence with a little bit of jazzy music with, and it's sort of like uh, they're panning across the, the, the bulbs, the light bulbs of the spell. Uh. Yeah. And then, Oh, <laughs> it was tough. This was you, really tough. Out of time. So really tough. All that jazz is great. Y'all. There you go. So <laughs> that oh, was dude. fuck. We had to stop you mid fucking riff there. All right. That's so a first. That's a first. <laughs> we got to get like a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could add that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, all right, everybody. Oh, that was. Oh. Oh. <laughs> What's the whammy sound? Kind of slow. All right, so that was uh, one fucking hour on um, all that jazz, guys. Thanks so much for Great. listening. So we tried to get it all in. Maybe there'll be some overtime next week. Maybe. Um, but uh, speaking of next week, let's tease a little bit what we are. <laughs> I, I would dare to say this is a slight curveball compared <laughs> to all that jazz. A slight, a slight detour. What do you say? Who knows? Maybe the Our same DP. Uh, okay, so uh, we are looking at. <laughs> we are it's, looking no, at it's Bob Fosse's favorite film. So <laughs> <ironically>. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Stanley anyway, Kubrick's. What's the next? Sta- Stanley Kubrick's favorite shot on video horror film. Uh, we are looking at Sledgehammer. So oh, what is wrong with us? I know. So Sledgehammer. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna be doing that a lot. Uh, so just real quick, because <laughs> everyone should go out of their way to check out Sledgehammer. It yeah. is uh, Mar- Marcus. This, this you're gonna be checking it out. Um, Marcus needs to see it. Yeah. This yeah. might be another case where. Um, not many folks have seen it in advance. Unlike you know, this is gonna be a fresh show. watch for me. Yeah. For so sure. guys, um, uh, watch along up. with me. Be done with me and watch it for the first time. Load up for next week, um, uh, because yeah, this is a bit of a deep cut. Um, maybe it's on Hulu or something. Hulu? <laughs> no. I don't no, know. No, no. Tube? No. no, Tubi. It's very no. Tubi. This is maybe. very Tubi. No, I, I don't think it's. It's probably on YouTube. But anyway. Tubi. So yeah, it is probably yeah. If if it's anywhere to be seen, I'll put it in the description of this video on YouTube. But Sledgehammer, yeah, we'll one of the yeah, you know, it's one of the early shot on video horror films. But uh, to us, we we really I think next week our job is to really recontextualize it as a uh, museum piece, which I really think it is. And um, yeah, so I, I think this is one we can de-neck beard and we can really look into <laughs> why it is absolutely an audio it's, of it. Hold on, it's an audio visual fucking assault, and I'm so excited it's one of my all-time favorites i had a hallucinatory experience and we'll get into that you know um and sledgehammer is on youtube uh you can rent it there's also an outlaw one uh, an upload so sledgehammer is on the youtube so yeah check it out and um yeah i just call it accidental art um and you know it's david Pryor from deadly prey and uh i think he just stumbled ass backwards uh, based on the resources he had into this haunting uh mood piece <laughs> Uh, of an SOV shot and video horror film. It's fun. It's, it's awesome. It, 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 it's a race to 80 minutes. I think, yeah, it, it, it's a race to 80 minutes. I think, uh, you know, he probably shot about 40 minutes worth of a movie and then some right. tricks and tricks and tricks right. and tropes uh, got him there to 80 minutes, which we'll get into. Exactly. But anyway, yeah. uh, next week is one fucking hour on Sledgehammer. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, what is wrong with us? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us uh, on Thanksgiving weekend. I'm stuffed. Are you guys stuffed? I'm fucking stuffed. I'm already full, man. I'm to the Mm. max. What a great film. I'm I'm so glad we did all that jazz, honestly. It was so great. I just want to shout it from the rooftops. Everyone should re-see it or see it. It's it's so cool. It's the best. 
All right, everybody, and now it's time for your moment of zen, and we will see you next week. All right, so long. Bye-bye now. I couldn't follow it. I couldn't understand it. And I walked out of the theater behind a woman who said, you know, when you go to a musical at holiday time, you don't really expect to see open-heart surgery. I think I kind of understand what she was talking about. I vote no. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> Showtime, folks.